Amen. And God is the same, same God we've always served. He's the same uh, when we gave our life to him. He's the same because he's a good God. And sometimes we forget that. This morning, if you have your Bible, turn with me to our passage, find the book of Luke chapter 9. Book of Luke chapter 9, as we begin reading with verse 37. And I have good news, I'm not preaching on St. Peter, I'm preaching on the other apostles today. <laughs> I am the kiss of death this year in March. I was talking to somebody in the back, I'm, I'm, whatever team I'm for, they're losing. So I can tell you who's going to win all this. If you know me, you probably figured it out. Somebody's already said it. Book of Luke, chapter 9. We're in this series looking at how Jesus interacted with people. Here's what we know, and it's still true today. Whenever Jesus has an encounter with someone, he's either going to, he will challenge them and or change them. If you have an encounter with Jesus, you're going to be challenged and or changed. And we're seeing that in this entire series. And it's still true today. If you tell me you've had an encounter with Jesus and you haven't been challenged and you haven't been changed, then I doubt you really had an encounter with Jesus. And so this story, the book of Luke chapter 9, takes place right after the transfiguration, which we looked at last week. Jesus is coming down from the mountain, and we pick up the story in verse 37. On the next day when they came down from the mountain, a large crowd met him. And a man from the crowd shouted, saying, Teacher, I beg you to look at my son, for he is my only boy. And a spirit seizes him, and he suddenly screams, and it throws him into a convulsion with foaming at the mouth, and only with difficulty does it leave him, mauling him as it leaves. I begged your disciples to cast it out, and they could not. Jesus answered and said, You unbelieving and perverted generation, how long shall I be with you and put up with you? Bring your son here. While he was still approaching, the demon slammed him to the ground and threw him into a convulsion. But Jesus rebuked the unclean spirit and healed the boy and gave him back to his father. And they were all amazed at the greatness of God. But while everyone was marveling at all that he was doing, he said to his disciples, Let these words sink into your ears, for the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we pray today that as we look at this passage, fathers, we see this impossible situation. We are reminded that we have impossible situations in our lives. Teach us, Father, and show us what we are to do when we are facing the impossible. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. What would you do If your child was sick and all the doctors said there's nothing they could do, what would you do if you were told it's no use to even look for an answer that is is an impossible situation? That happened in the 1980s. Michaela and Augusto Ordon, their son Lorenzo, age six, was diagnosed with ALD, adrenoleukodystrophy. Very complex disease. It's based on on the fact that you have this very long chain saturated fatty acid and you need an enzyme to break it down. And if you don't, what happens, it affects the nerve system. And so you lose vision, you lose movement, you you lose speech and it follows by death. 
At age six, they told the parents, there's nothing you can do. It's hopeless. The Odoms didn't believe that. They quit their jobs. She was a newspaper editor. He was an economist. They sold their house to pay the medical bills and literally began to go around the world seeking out help. They wanted to find answers, and so they started talking to experts. They began to study on their own. They started studying science, looking for some answer, and people laughed at them. They said, give it up. There's nothing you can do. So they began to read and study science. They, they found articles in obscure uh, foreign medical journals. They, they could, had the first world conference of ALD experts to come and talk about this, this illness. During their studies, this couple with no science background mastered the lipid system. And they began to do work on some dietary supplement. And they did come up with something. It's called Lorenzo oil. And even today, it's an experimental treatment, but it slows down symptoms of ALD. During their work, they open up some doors on this disease. And today, they, you can t find it earlier and detect it earlier. Today, worldwide, there's about 60 people still taking Lorenzo oil. And some are saying it does help in stopping the symptoms. Their son, who was six, year old, six years old, when the doctor said, give up, died in his 30s. What would you do if you were told it was impossible? Their story actually became a movie. Because people want to see the passion of a parent. But we see another parent in Scripture. We just read of his father who has a passion to do anything to find help for his son. In his world, this was a hopeless situation. His son was demon-possessed, and there was no one that could help him. And so he goes to Jesus, he goes to the disciples, and asks the disciples, heal my son. As I said last week, Jesus has been on the mountain with three of his disciples Jesus has been transfigured before them. They, they caught a glimpse of the glory of Christ. They saw Moses coming to Jesus. They saw Elijah coming to Jesus. They had this mountaintop experience. And now they're coming down the mountain. And then when they get to the bottom, problems. Last week, we talked about how the disciples, they want to stay on the mountain. Isn't that true? We love mountaintop experiences. We don't want to leave. We are inspired. We're motivated by the mountaintop experiences. But in the real world, we learn lessons in the valleys. We love the mountaintops, and we hate the valleys, but it is in the valleys that God will teach us. It's in the valleys that we have to turn things over to God. It is in the valleys that we realize, God, I can't do this on my own. It is in the valleys when we really begin to understand, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. We hate the valleys, but we need them. Valleys will show us our weaknesses, and valleys will drive us to God's strength. Valleys re reveal my limitations. And valleys will drive me to His unlimited resources. Valleys drive me to humility, and valleys will drive me to God's sovereignty. We love the mountaintops, but we learn in the valleys. And so in this story, we find how to face impossible situations looking at four different characters. So let's look at it. First of all, there's the desperate father. We see that in, in verse 38. 
A man from the crowd shouted to Jesus, saying, Teacher, I beg you to look at my son, for he is my only boy, and a spirit seizes him. Again, we've said this before, they're coming from the mountaintop into the valleys. Whenever there's a mountaintop experience, be ready when you come back into the valley. You're going to face problems. We see it throughout Scripture. Remember Moses and the mountaintop experience? He met God. God gave him the Ten Commandments. He came back down to the valley. What happened? The people of Israel were sinning. Remember Elijah? Elijah had that contest between God and Baal, and God won the battle on the mountaintop. And then the next scene in the valley, we see Jezebel wanting to kill Elijah. And Elijah runs away to the point he just stops. He sits down and says, Lord, take my life. Whenever there's a mountaintop experience, when you come down in the valley, you're going to face problems. We're seeing it here. And so whether you have a revival or a conference or a retreat, you have that mountaintop experience, but be ready. The valley's coming. I remind the youth, you have D now coming. That's going to be a mountaintop experience. Be ready. The valley's coming. And so Jesus and the three disciples come down, and they find this father, and he is hurting. Look what he says twice in verse 38 and verse 40. He uses the word beg. Verse 38, he said, teacher, I beg you to look at my son. Verse 40, I beg your disciples. In the Greek language, that is a very strong word. It means, it's only used a few times in Scripture. It it means this is the most important thing in the world. In the the King James Version, it used the word beseeched. Master, I beseech you, beseech thee to look at my son. It's the same word used in Luke chapter 5, verse 21, when the leper comes to Jesus, begging him, I beseech you, this is the most important thing, Lord, I need to be healed. It's the same word used in Acts chapter 21, verse 9, the 39, when Paul is being confronted with a mob, and they're going to kill him. And Paul says, I beseech thee, let me speak. In other words, the most important thing I can do right now is to speak. It's the same word used in Acts chapter 26, verse 3, when Paul is standing before Agrippa, and Agrippa is going to put him to death. And Paul says, I beseech thee, let me hear me patiently. In other words, I need to tell you something so important, the most important thing imaginable. Same word used in Galatians chapter 4, verse 12. When Paul is writing to a church that's having a lot of problems, and he says, I beseech you, become as I am. In other words, the most important thing I can tell you today, you need to become like me. This father is saying, the most important thing I have, Lord, is my son. This is an intensity of desire. He says, this is the most important thing. And he says to Jesus, I beg you, verse 38, I beg you to look at my son. That word, look. One other time in the, in the Bible, in the book of James, it means to look with compassion. Actually, it's a medical term. In this day and age, when, when you would go to medical school, they would tell you to look at a patient with this word. It means with compassion. It means don't look at them like just some client. Look with compassion. And here's this man saying to Jesus, Lord, I want you to look at my son. Don't look at him as something secondary. Don't look at him with contempt. Don't look at him as if he's nothing. Will you look at my son? Do you hear what the father is saying? Why would he say this? I mean, you can hear the pain in his voice. Mark tells us he's been dealing with this since the child was was young. Basically, he's saying, Lord, look at my son. I'm tired of people looking at my child as a problem to be discussed I'm tired of people looking at my child, looking at him as a problem for me. I'm tired of people looking at my child, wondering, is it my fault he's being demon-possessed? I'm tired of people looking at me, wondering how I can do this 24-7. I've been doing this to protect my son. Lord, 
Will you look at my son with compassion? In Mark, the father says, I have faith, but help my unbelief. It's a great phrase. In other words, he says to Jesus, Lord, I have faith, but not in this area. Lord, I have faith in some areas, but not this one. Isn't that true for us? We can have faith in one area of our life, but not another. Some people have faith in, with God, with the physical, but they don't have faith in the financial. They don't believe in tithing. Or some people have faith in the financial, but they don't have faith in witnessing. They don't think it'll work. Or they'll have faith in sharing their faith, but they don't have faith that God will take care of them during the day. See, sometimes our faith is in different areas. And this father is hurting. He's desperate. He said, Jesus, Lord, look at my son with compassion. Verse 39, we see, verse 40, we see the second character, the demon-possessed boy. Verse 39, it describes him. And a spirit seizes him, and he suddenly screams and throws him into a convulsion with foaming at the mouth. And only with difficulty does it leave him, mauling him as it leaves. The Bible says he was demon-possessed. Now, I know today, 21st century, people want to read this and say, oh, well, that's not demon possession. That's a type of epilepsy or a type of autism or maybe there's a tumor. The Bible says it's demon possessed. The Bible says this is a supernatural problem. You see, if you go back and look at the Scripture, the Bible really understands the difference between the physical and the spiritual. In Matthew chapter 4, verse 24, talking about Jesus, it said this, that they brought, all, they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pain, those oppressed by demons, those having seizures, we get the word epilepsy from that, and paralytics, and he healed them. The Bible says there is different. Luke is a doctor. Luke is saying, look, this situation is, is not something physical. This is something supernatural. The Bible recognizes the difference in the two. And by the way, we need to understand that also. I mean, there are some physical problems. There are some diseases and conditions that has nothing to do with the demonic, has nothing to do with the supernatural. And then there's some demonic activity that has nothing to do with the physical world. Whatever the case, this young boy has a problem. And the Bible says distinctly, it is demon-possessed. And that's very important to the story. Because of the third group, the defeated disciples. Verse 40. I begged your disciples to cast it out, and they could not. The father comes to Jesus and said, Lord... I begged your disciples, your disciples, and they couldn't do anything. Now, you may be thinking, well, that's not fair. Look at Luke chapter 9, verse 1, one page back. Talking about Jesus, and he called the 12 together and gave them power and authority over all the demons. And to heal diseases. Jesus had given to them all authority to do this. Verse 6. Departing, they began going throughout the villages, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. Jesus gave them authority in verse 1. Verse 6, they were successful. Verse 10, they're telling Jesus about their successes. And now, before the end of the chapter, they can do nothing. They look at this situation and they cannot get rid of this demon. What happened? They went from having power over darkness to no power over darkness. Jesus, we can't do this. This is an impossible situation. 
Maybe they even told the father that. Because in the book of Mark, it says that when Jesus came down, there was an argument between Jesus and the scribes. The theory is that the disciples were saying that this is an impossible situation. We're experts in demon, you know, getting rid of demons. We're experts. We've done it before, but not this one. This is an impossible one. Maybe implied, they're even saying, even Jesus couldn't do this one. They're saying to the Father, this is an impossible situation because we know what we're doing and we cannot do it. Maybe they told the Father, this is impossible. Have you ever been in a situation or heard about a situation you think is impossible? Well, that marriage can't be restored. Well, that addict can't be rehabbed. Oh, that person's been abused too much. They're, they're damaged goods. Oh, that person has stage four cancer. I, I guess that's it. Oh, that person will never come to Jesus. How many times do we talk about impossible situations? At another church, there was a lady in her mid-80s. She was in the hospital in a coma. I was there when the doctor came in and talked to the family. The doctor said, there is no hope. She's not going to come out of this coma. Basically, she's staying alive because of a feeding tube, and you have a decision to make. And he said, I recommend remove the tube and let her die in peace. The family looked at him. <laughs> and the family said, we, we can't do that. And the doctor said, you, you need to give up hope. She's not going to come out of this coma. The head of the family stood up, and he said, I believe God is going to heal her. And the doctor shook his head and said, based on my experience, that is impossible. And he walked out. I watched the family as they dealt with that issue. Four days later, she came out of the coma. One year later, she made me a meal. You see, what some people think is impossible may not be impossible. And here are the disciples saying, this is an impossible situation. There's no way we can do it. But that leads us to the last character, the divine deliverer. Look at verse 41. Jesus answered and said, you unbelieving, perverted generation, how long shall I be with you and put up with you? Bring your son here. And while he was still approaching, the demon slammed him to the ground and threw him into the convulsion. But Jesus rebuked the unclean spirit and healed the boy and gave him back to his father. And they were all amazed at the greatness of God. Jesus says, bring the boy here. Even as the boy is coming, the demon recognized Jesus. That's what caused this situation. And Jesus cured him, released him. But did you notice the strong words of condemnation? Look what Jesus said in verse 41. You unbelieving and perverted generation, how long shall I be with you and put up with you? Who's he talking to? Is he rebuking the father? No. I mean, the father did the right thing. The father brought him to Jesus. Is he rebuking the community? No. He's not talking to the community. You know who he's talking to in this verse? The disciples. He's talking to his own disciples. You unbelieving and perverted generation. Why is he so upset with them? Because they couldn't do this deed of casting out the demon. You say, well, isn't that harsh? No. Remember what Jesus said in verse 1? I give you the authority to do this, and now you can't do it. What happened? 
If you look at the passage, you see the disciples lacked three things to do this. First of all, they had a lack of faith. Jesus said, unbelieving. In other words, you don't have faith. You doubt. Now, they don't doubt who Jesus is. They're doubting what Jesus said. Big difference. In fact, in Matthew's account, the disciples pulled Jesus aside after all this is over. And in Matthew chapter 17, they asked Jesus, why couldn't we do this? And Jesus said, because of the littleness of your faith. He said, it's a faith issue, guys. You didn't have the faith. You didn't have the faith, and that's why you couldn't do my work. You have taken what I've given to you, the power to overcome the darkness, the power to overcome demons, and you perverted it. That word means to twist out of shape. I've given you something, and you twisted it out of shape, and now you can't do it. I gave you the authority, and you couldn't do it. Jesus is saying, where's your faith? If you had the faith, you could have done this. You had the faith earlier, but you don't have it now. I wonder what Jesus would say to us if he was here this morning speaking to us. Would he say that we have faith? I mean, for example, the Bible says, Paul says, that God works all things together for good for those who love God. Do you believe that? Do you have faith? Do you have faith that no matter what happens in your world, that God's going to take that and turn it for good for his glory? Do you have faith that God loves you? That God's love hasn't changed? Maybe you've done something in the past and you think, well, God doesn't love me as much now. Do you have faith to believe that God says, I love you and my love won't change? Do you have faith that God will give you the strength to carry out what you need to do? God, the Bible says that God will give us strength. Do you have faith in what God is saying? Do you have a lack of faith? Secondly, they had a lack of prayer. They had a lack of prayer. You know, in other accounts, in Matthew and Mark, Jesus talks about praying because they asked Jesus, why couldn't we do this? And Jesus said, you need prayer and fasting. In other words, Jesus says to them, you weren't praying. Now, what Jesus is not saying, he's not saying you didn't have the right kind of prayer. Jesus is saying you weren't praying. Remember last week, the disciples are on the mountain prayer meeting with Jesus. Do you remember what they did? They fell asleep. You're in a prayer meeting with Jesus and you fall asleep. Why would you fall asleep if you're in a prayer meeting with Jesus? Because prayer is not your priority. That's why. They come back down the mountain. They're the other disciples and prayer is not their priority. Jesus is saying, because your lack of praying, why didn't they pray? We have a clue in verse 46. We didn't read it, but look at, look at it. Here's why they didn't pray. Verse 46. This is right after this happened. An argument started among them as to which of them might be the greatest. <laughs> so let me get this straight. You failed in doing your job because of lack of faith. And then a few moments later, you're over here saying, who's the greatest of us? They're getting ready to go to the Passover. They're, they're trying to figure out who's going to sit where. Do you know why they're arguing, arguing who's the greatest? It's a pride issue. Do you know why they didn't pray? It's a pride issue. They're connected. True spirituality is developed daily with humility. If you don't pray, it's because of pride. I mean... That's what prayer is. Prayer is saying, God, I can't do it. Pride says, I can do it. 
This morning, if you don't have a quiet time, if you don't have a quiet time daily, I can tell you why. It's a pride issue. You don't think you need God. Now, now some of you may be thinking, I only bring the big things to God. Really? You're telling me there are some things you don't need God at all? But the Bible says we need God for everything. We have this idea, God, I can handle this. You don't need to bother me. That's pride. If you don't have a daily time of prayer, basically you're dealing with a pride issue because you think you can handle this world alone. That's pride. And here are the disciples. They pride. Why? Because earlier they had power. Earlier the demons were listening to them. They were living in the past, and they were thinking about all the things they did early on in chapter 9. And because of their lack of faith and now the lack of uh, prayer, we come to the third thing they lack, and that's lack of power. Jesus had given them power. Now they didn't have any. Why? When we have pride, we don't pray. And when we don't pray, we have no power. Your spiritual power is connected to your prayer life. You tell me about your prayer life, and I can tell you about your spiritual power. And it doesn't make a difference what you did yesterday. It doesn't make a difference what you did last year. What do you have now? The disciples kept saying, well, Lord, look what we did over here. We went out, and we cured the people, and we cast out the demons. But that was then. And now you're full of pride, and you think you can do it by yourself. And now over here, you have no power. But, but Lord, we look good, but not now. You need power. And if you have pride, you're not going to have power. Because if you have pride, you're not going to pray. So imagine. Imagine you have a new car. Imagine you have a new Porsche. And after you let the pastor drive it, <laughs> you start driving it. And it's beautiful on the outside. I mean, it rides great. And then one morning, you turn the key and nothing happens. You say, well, that can't happen. It's a new Porsche. You, you turn the key, nothing happens. You get out and you look at the car. There's no scratches on it. It looks good. I don't know why it doesn't start. Click, click, nothing. You get out and you, and, and you open the, the hood and there's a motor. The motor's still there. I don't know why it's not starting. Click, click. You get out and you look at the battery. The battery's still connected to the cables. Click, click. And you call your friend. You, your friend comes over and says, I, I know the problem is your, your battery's dead. He said, whoa, whoa, that's not possible. It's a brand new car. I drove it all night last night. Look, look at it. There's not a scratch on it. It looks good. People drive by and they look at that car and say, I want that car. It can't be the battery. And, and the battery cables are connected. It can't be the battery. And the friend said, you left your lights on all night, dummy. You ran down the battery. The battery has no energy, no power. And he takes his car and his jumper cables and connects the batteries. And all of a sudden, it starts. Why? Because you used up all your energy. But you didn't realize you had to replace the energy. You were empty. And now you receive energy from another source to give you more energy. And once the car starts, the alternator keeps the battery energized. But right now, it's on empty. You need another power source. Some of you, spiritually, you've been winding down spiritually because you haven't been spending time with the Father. And you are spiritually hurting. And you need to recharge your spiritual life because you have no power. Oh, you're saved. I'm not saying that. 
but you have no power. Oh, you used to be effective for the kingdom, but you're not effective anymore because of pride and prayerlessness. You have no power. You see, apart from the power of God, we can't do God's work. Without the power of God, you cannot sing, you cannot teach, you cannot preach, you cannot parent. You cannot do any of that on your own power and be effective for God. You think you can do it without Jesus, and it's impossible. And you need to be recharged again. Some of you here and online, you are spiritually dead. The Bible says that we are spiritually dead, not, not spiritually sick. We are dead. We need life, and we need to get it from another power source. His name is Jesus. And you do that by giving your life to Christ, by saying, Lord, I realize I'm a sinner. I cannot save myself. And I believe that Jesus died on a cross 2,000 years ago. He died and was buried on the third day he arose. And I give him everything. I'm holding nothing back. I give him everything. And you ask him into your life. Will you do that? If you're online, if you would text the word today at 270-398-5005, and a minister will give you a call to talk about your decision. If you're here this morning, You've never given your life to Christ. In a few moments, we're going to be singing. Just come to the front. Talk to me or one of the ministers about giving your life to Christ. Or maybe you're here today and you're a believer and you realize you have no spiritual power because you've been neglecting your spiritual walk with God, either privately or publicly. You may want to just rededicate your life. Or maybe you need to join this church. Whatever decision you need to make, will you make it with this understanding? You're going to do it through faith as you seek God. Would you stand and bow your heads? Father, we ask you to forgive us for trying to do your work without your power. Forgive us, Father, when we think we can do anything alone. Father, we realize that everything we have comes from your hands. And so, Father, today, for those who are believers, I pray that they will look at their spiritual walk. Father, are they spending time in prayer spending time with you, being recharged daily? Or, Father, are they living on past accomplishments, living on natural talent? Father, let today be the day that all of us, every one of us, commit to you spiritually. Father, for that one who's never given their life to you, Father, that person who, according to your word, they're spiritually dead. May they open their heart today for you as they receive life from Jesus. Speak to us now, Father, and let us respond and obey in faith. In Jesus' name, amen.